Well, as we have said, it is New Year's Day, and it is the season of New Year's resolutions, right? A time where we make promises that we are often destined to fail to keep. That's human nature. Did you know that there is a business centered around you breaking your New Year's resolution? It's the actual business plan. What I'm speaking of is the discount gym, those gyms that are 10 to $20 a month. This is an actual number. Every year, of course, at Christmas, people are either gifted or buy a gym membership because that's the number one New Year's resolution, right? We're going to get in shape. We're going to get healthy, that kind of thing. But if every single person that had a gym membership came just twice a week, the gym couldn't support those numbers. The place would be constantly at capacity and would have to shut down. So, in other words, the entire business plan of a discount gym is you breaking your New Year's resolution. It shows the fickle nature of the flesh. So I entitled this message this morning, Shattered Promises. We just finished the A Promise Kept series. How often do we promise something to ourselves, to our loved ones, to our God, only to eventually break our word? In Scripture, we observe the people of Israel time and time again. They break oaths, they break covenants, and even we as Christians, we say things like, we want to be more like Jesus. We want to be more like Jesus in our day-to-day lives. And honestly, that's just simply not always true. It's something that we say a lot. Do our lives reflect it? So we look to the Word of God and we are thankful that God is not like us. He is faithful to His promises. No circumstance changes Him. No human failing alters His love for us. So, a little context on Numbers 23. Numbers 22 and 23 is a section of Scripture I have loved for a while. Um, if, you're a ch- if you were in Bible school as a kid, you remember this story. This is the story with the talking donkey. And um, I don't know if you know this, but as a child, I had a bit of trouble paying attention from time to time. The people laughing are people in my band. But, <laughs> but I did. And but it's, the moment you mentioned talking donkey, I was locked in, right? But there's, of course, much more to this historic account than the talking donkey. We read in the chapters of Numbers 22 and 23 of God's faithfulness, his steadfast love, and his unchanging nature. I do not have time, of course, I wish I did, to read all of Numbers 22 and 23. So we are going to join this narrative kind of within the middle of its development. We're going to join it in progress. So I'll try to summarize. Numbers 22, Israel has set out. They are now encamped in the plains of Moab, somewhere beyond the Jordan at Jericho. The Moabite king, King Balak, had witnessed what the Israelites had just done to the Amorites. And the the Moabites, along with their king, they were very afraid. And so Balak reaches out to a man named Balaam. And he says, please come and curse these People Apparently, Balaam had some sort of reputation. And they sent payment. They sent bribe money. And Balaam speaks to God and asks God to curse the Israelites. And God says, no, do not. Those are my people. Do not curse them. They are blessed. And so Balaam relays this message. 
So again, what does Balak do? Does, does Balak say, well, God has spoken. His word is clear. We submit to it. No, instead he sends more money and more men to try and convince Balaam. And this time Balaam hosts the Moabites. And then he decides to even leave and go back with them. Something that the scriptures tell us angered God. So he saddles up his donkey and they're on their way. They go a little ways and the angel of the Lord appears. But only the donkey sees it. And so the donkey pulls away and, and Balaam strikes the donkey. It happens again. Angel of the Lord, only the donkey sees it. Donkey turns away. Balaam strikes the donkey. All in all, Balaam beat this poor animal three times. And finally, the donkey says, why do you keep hitting me? What have I done to you? And Balaam replies, you are making a fool out of me. And the donkey says, I've always been a good donkey to you. Why do you suddenly make these accusations? And finally, God opens the eyes of Balaam. And Balaam can see the angel, and he falls on his face. And in chapter 23, we continue with this struggle as Balaam is somehow trying to acquire earthly riches and prestige by skirting the word of God, trying to figure out some way around God's command. Balak wants a different answer than the one Balaam is giving, so they make a sacrifice, and then a different sacrifice. Balaam pleads with God, please allow me to curse the Israelites. And again, God tells him, you do not curse my people. So Balak tries another strategy to get his way, another sacrifice, another effort to sway God to their will. And this is where we pick up in today's passage. I am going to be reading Numbers 23, verses 13 through 20. And Balak said to him, Please come with me to another place from which you may see them, meaning the Israelites. You shall see only a fraction of them and shall not see them all. Then curse them for me from there. And he took him to the field of Zophim, to the top of Pisgah, and built seven altars and offered a bull and a ram on each altar. Balaam said to Balak, stand here beside your burnt offering while I meet with the Lord over there. And the Lord met Balaam and put a word in his mouth and said, Return to Balak, and thus shall you speak. And he came to him, and behold, he was standing beside his burnt offering and the princes of Moab with him. And Balak said to him, What has the Lord spoken? And Balaam took up his discourse and said, Rise, Balak, and hear. Give ear to me, O son of Zippor. God is not man that he should lie. Or son of man, that he should change his mind. Has he said, and he will not do it? Or has he spoken, and he will not fulfill it? Behold, I received a command to bless. He has blessed, and I cannot revoke it. This morning, if, if you were in Christ, you find great peace knowing that God's love for you is never lessened. Though others may seek to do you harm, or though you may do harm to yourself through sin, we know that our God will always remain faithful. Our first point this morning, God is immutable, meaning he never changes. We certainly change, but God is unchanging. And if you are his, 
He's changing you. He's making you more like his son. He's changing you to be more and more like Jesus. We call this process sanctification. Um, Gradually, sometimes quite gradually, God is changing us into the likeness of Jesus. But God is immutable. He does as he pleases. We see with, with Balaam and Balak's efforts a desire to somehow change or manipulate God's will. God gives his word. The word of God is clear. Do not curse my people. And rather than submit to the word of God, Balaam begins looking for some way, any way, to change God's word or to perform Maybe perform works that will persuade God. Persuade God toward human ambition. And this is a familiar refrain of our flesh. Maybe I'm just not praying right. Maybe I'm not checking the right boxes. If I do everything right, maybe I can force God's hand on this one. And I can get what I want. And that is a false belief. It is a false teaching um, that is frankly contradicted by Scripture. Job 23 reads, but he is unchangeable. And who can turn him back? What he desires, that he does. And I must say this perverse teaching of somehow manipulating God has, is alive and well in the visible church in the United States and around the world, really. In its extreme, it's called prosperity gospel. Um, you'll, you'll hear things like said, here are the steps you need to help you be more successful or more wealthy or more healthy. Or even you'll hear things like this, do not forget to claim this blessing over your life. Many of the largest congregations in the United States sit under this teaching this morning. Steps to manipulate God into healing, to manipulate God into financial blessing. I received a call from a young man a few months back, and he was, you could, you could tell, first of all, when anyone in their 20s calls you on the phone, you know it's serious, right? And so, so it was an actual phone call that I picked up and put to my ear. The app is a seldomly used app on the phone. <laughs> Anyway, so I picked up the phone, and the guy was just distraught. He was heartbroken. He said, I, I just need to talk to someone. So I said, sure. So we, we met for lunch, and the guy, I, I knew him and his, and his fiance, and they had broken up. She had broken up with him, and, and he wanted her back. And he told me he had just spent countless hours on his knees in prayer, praying for this situation and that's a good thing countless hours on your knees in prayer is a good thing but the sad part was this young man's a member of another church but he told me that his church leaders had assured him that there was a way he could fast and a way he could pray I wrote this down to manifest heart change in another and I was kind of taken aback to to me that approach seems closer to witchcraft than biblical Christianity. And so what had happened here with this is the young man's heartbreak was twofold. Of course, he missed his fiance, but now he was a failure as a Christian. He was a failure as a child of God. 
Because since God did not change the heart of the woman he loved, that means he had done something wrong. He had failed. And he just kept asking over and over and over again. Just, I would try and share a passage with him or just tell him I loved him. And he would say, just, just tell me what I need to do to get what I want. Is there a special prayer? Is there a special fast? And we, um, we spoke for about six months. And every week there would be a, a works-based false teaching that was navigating this young man through. It was like, like walking through wet concrete. And this legalistic, mystical approach to God. And so that got me thinking... Just like Balaam, how often do we pray in an effort to sway God? God speaks to us from the pages of Scripture, yet far too often we're not satisfied with God's word. We're not satisfied with God's statutes. We want more or we want a different answer. It's a bizarre phenomenon in our prayer life. Think about one of your strained relationships how often do we find ourselves praying for the other person to be made more like us rather than praying for us to be made more like Christ God please just let them understand my point of view and our our battle would be over when we become Christians we sing songs and we proclaim I want to be like Jesus in my heart and then we essentially turn around and pray for Jesus to grant our wishes I don't know if you've ever been in a long disagreement with someone but you often find yourself praying Lord just let, just let them see that I'm right and they're wrong and we'll be friends again the fight would be over if he or she could just be more like me when really what ends a conflict is both parties becoming more like Jesus. Lord, show me where I'm sinning in this strained relationship. Convict me of my sin that I might seek to glorify you by loving this person. I pray for my friend that you will soften his or her heart. A while back, there was a very, very popular worship song. This is another example. It was a very popular worship song, and it was... Sweeping the nation, it was in every church, it was on every playlist, it was all over the radio station. And we, we did not um, incorporate that particular song in our uh, music worship here at Capshaw. And the reason was very simple. The church that had written that song, recorded that song, and produced that song is a church that's led by a false teacher, teaching for shameful gain what he ought not teach. And so... As has been the case, if, if, you're, if a church does not get the gospel right, we do not play music out of that church. So for that very reason, we didn't play this one particular song. And a, and a lady came up to me one day, and I could tell she really needed to talk. She saw me across the room, and she beckoned me over, and I went over to talk to her. And She referenced this song that we had never done and told me it was her favorite song. And she told me she had prayed for over a year that I would change my mind and include her favorite song in our worship. Over a year. And so as, as delicately and as sweetly as I could say, I said, if, if you want to pray for your church leaders, pray that God will guide their decisions and their actions 
Pray for them to be more like Christ rather than having the same music taste as you. I said that delicately. But so often when we pray, we pray like Balaam prayed. We are not seeking to be more like Christ. We often pray in a way that we're seeking to direct God instead of seeking God's direction. And when we earnestly spend time in prayer, our will is bent to God's will, not the other way around. We are to have robust prayer lives. Martin Luther once wrote, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. And we should tell God of our wants, our needs, our fears. Our prayer lives should be an area that we seek to glorify God. Pray for God's will to be done. We pray to know God's will. We share our burdens and concerns. And we pray with confidence knowing that God will be faithful. God has always and will always care for and protect his children. God has promised to do so. And he is unfailing in keeping his word. Let's look at a few passages. Hebrews 13. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Isaiah 40. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. James 1. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. We are fickle, and we're often governed, governed by self-interest. We can quickly turn a friendship into a feud. When a friend fails us or breaks a promise to us, our relationship with that person has often changed forever. We as sinful people are very slow to forgive Our flesh leads us to hold grudges and to deny one another grace. Praise God he's not like that with us. We disobey God when we harbor bitterness by hating another, by gossiping, by not giving, being prideful, placing other gods before the only God. Yet he never wavers in his love. On this unchanging nature of God, God's immutability, Charles Spurgeon once preached a beautiful message on Malachi 3.6. That passage reads, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. And in this message, Spurgeon said the following, But God is perpetually the same. He is not composed of any substance or material, but is spirit, pure, essential, and ethereal spirit, and therefore he is immutable. He remains everlastingly the same. There are no furrows on his eternal brow. No age hath palsied him. No years have marked him with the mementos of their flight. He sees ages pass, but with him it is ever now. He is the great I am, the great unchangeable. And we sin. We sin against God. We sin against one another. We deny and defy God's word. Time and time again, seeking words that are pleasing to us or words that tickle our ears. Yet God is unchanging, He's ever faithful, and He is forgiving. 
Our second point this morning. As a result of its sinful nature, humanity is comprised of promise breakers, covenant breakers, oath breakers, and law breakers. Nothing has the propensity to hurt quite like a broken promise. If you, if you think of the times in your life where you've been hurt, how many of those were due to a broken promise? The church that I grew up in partnered with a local children's home. So each week my church would send a bus to this children's home and bring these, these kids to our church. Now, this is when I was a teenager, so a lot of these, were, these kids were my same age. They were my friends. They were in my youth group. And the circumstances of them being in the home were different from kid to kid. Some it was discipline for the kids. Some it was discipline for the parents or, you know, for the safety of the child. Um, lots of different circumstances, most of them tragic. But anyway, what would happen is every single Christmas... One or two or three of these kids would come running up. They'd be so excited to share this with their friends. And they would say, I'm going home for Christmas. And they would explain, you know, um, my mom's got a new job or my father got paroled, whatever it is. But I get to go home for Christmas. We're going to be a family again. And they would be so excited. And then the heartbreak would come right behind it. They would get a call a day or two before Christmas. And for whatever reason, um, something came up, um, had to work, or just being a sorry parent, um, the parent would almost unfailingly cancel right before Christmas each year. And I would love to tell you that that only happened one time, but that happened every year. It was a, it was a familiar trope in our church. My mother who's watching right now from her home in Macon, she was some of these little girls' Sunday school teacher. I guarantee you, she's in tears right now. She remembers this exact thing happening every single Christmas. I'm going home for Christmas. We're going to be a family again. And it got to be to the point that we would actually cringe when these little children told us that they've got to go home or they won't get to be with their family. And we would start to try to temper their expectations. Well, you know, it's, it's hard. It's, they're very busy, you know, all that kind of thing. Just to lessen the pain of a broken promise. That's a heavy example, and it's one that we can scoff at because we would never be like that as parents. Of course not. But let's think about the promises that, that we break. So men, when you enter into the covenant of marriage... You're telling your wife, you're telling your God, you're telling your friends, your family, that you are going to dedicate your efforts to loving that woman as Christ loved the church. Love, care, protection, compassion, faithfulness, leadership, total sacrifice. That's how Christ loved the church. So the question is this, how many times have we failed this week to love our wives rightly how many times have we failed to attempt to love our wives rightly? And ladies, how many times this week would you say you have failed to respect your husband? Don't answer that out loud. We as sinful people, we have come, become so accustomed to breaking promises that we now speak, we do it flippantly. 
We use words like, I swear or I promise. And those words no longer carry any meaning at all. Let me tell you one that my wife does. I'm tired of sleeping indoors. <laughs> no, here's, here's one that my wife does. My wife will say, dear, you pick where we eat. I promise I don't care. And if you're married, you know that that's a lie. That's not true at all. What, what my wife means is, dear, she calls me dear, dear, if you truly loved me as Christ loved the church, you would know what I like and what I don't like. And your free will would be guided by the parameters of my personal preference. That's just a little bit of levity. We think of our politicians. I remember George H.W. Bush, 1988, wagging his finger at the American people. Read my lips, no new taxes. And then we, taxes. And following him, uh, we had uh, Bill Clinton, who also shook his finger at the American people and said, I did not have a relation, you know the rest. But these are both trusted leaders that made promises they broke. They knowingly lied to the people they served. It's rare to know someone that we fully trust. And we are a weak, sinful people. We are fickle and at times we're untrustworthy. And because of this feature of our sinful nature, our flesh sometimes leads us further down the road of sin into not fully Trusting God. When we hurt, we doubt God. A.W. Pink reminds us God is true. His word of promise is sure. In all his relations with his people, God is faithful. He may be safely relied upon. No one ever yet really trusted him in vain. We find this precious truth expressed almost everywhere in the scriptures for his people need to know that faithfulness is an essential part of the divine character. This is the basis of our confidence in him. But how quickly does our confidence fade and weaken when we face injuries and job loss, the, the death of a loved one, we can get so quickly and so easily fixed upon the fleshly features of this early life that our trust in God erodes. We experience tragedy when we're at our lowest. We, we, we doubt God's faithfulness. I love the words of Moses to his people. He's about to depart to die, right? And Joshua is to be his successor. And The people are afraid. They're afraid of losing their leader and they're afraid of their enemies. And Moses says in Deuteronomy 31, Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, the enemies. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. God tells us he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. And because he is immutable, we have peace. Knowing that his love for us also never changes. Again, we praise God that he is faithful in his love when we are not. And that brings us to our final point this morning. Salvation 
is not dependent upon the faithfulness of man, but upon the faithfulness of God. In other words, if your eternal salvation, your eternal salvation is grounded in God keeping his word. It's not in our ability to try and do good like we promised. Far too often the the beautiful miracle of grace is diminished by our desire to kind of heap conditions upon ourselves so that salvation kind of becomes this combination of our efforts augmented by God's faithfulness rather than salvation being a gift from God and God alone despite our sinful failings. I remember, well, I've heard over the years people told this type of thing when they're coming to saving faith. You're a Christian now, you have to stop cursing. You're a Christian now, you have to stop losing your temper. Now that you're a believer, you have to stop getting drunk or getting high. Now that you're saved, you have to stop cheating on your taxes. And all of those things are great, by the way. Uh, Taming the tongue, self-control, temperance, honesty, those should all be symptoms of our salvation, but they're not conditions for salvation. Romans 3 reads, verses 3 through 4, What if some were unfaithful? Does their faithlessness, faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Let God be true, though everyone were a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. Look back through Scripture at God's faithfulness to his people. The Bible is full of vivid accounts of Israel's rebellion time and time again they sin against God they disobey his commands yet God was protecting them on the journey and he delivered them safely finally to the promised land and the same God that saved his people from the bondage of Egypt the same God that saw his people safely through the wilderness if you are in Christ that unchanging God loves you through and in your rebellion If we have to unlock God's blessing in order to manifest positive results in our life, then we are assured of failure because we are sinful. We we deserve hell. A little bit later in Romans 3, we read about this. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside together. They have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. If salvation has anything to do with human diligence, then the Bible is wrong and we are doomed. If salvation has anything to do with our ability to apply logic and reason, come to a conclusion, and then extend an invitation to God, we're bound to fail. And that should actually give us a peaceful assurance. Not even we can mess this up. We can mess up our lives, right? We can, we can um, suffer consequences. That's, that's what the children of Israel are going through right here, right? The consequences. That's what they're doing in the wilderness. But you cannot lose what is appointed by God. MacArthur says if you could lose your salvation, you would. We fail. 
We fail in our sin. We fail in our prayer lives. We fail when our motives are self-serving, serving ourselves rather than God glorifying. We have failed from the moment our first parents, Adam and Eve, disobeyed God. When sin entered the world, humanity's, humanity's relationship to God was fractured. Our sin brought death and pain and suffering into God's perfect creation. Today, when we suffer, when we suffer through illness or a failing body or the loss of a loved one, it's not because of the cruelty of God. It's because of the reverberation of our sin. And as a consequence of humanity's failing, we have a sinful nature. We're condemned before God. Yet, God entered this world. Jesus Christ took on flesh and dwelt among us. He lived a sinless life. He walked this earth, the only perfect fleshly life. He would be wrongfully arrested, tried, convicted. He would be beaten, spat upon, and tortured. He would be mocked and humiliated, stripped naked, nailed to a cross, and left to die. He would stand before God the Father facing judgment. But he didn't face the judgment for his perfect life. Rather, he would stand before God with the sins of all believers imputed to him. Jesus would suffer God's wrath through to its conclusion. In doing so, he provided the only hope that we have. When God looks upon our sin, he sees the perfect righteousness of Christ imputed to us. Entrance, entrance to heaven demands perfection. And Jesus is the only perfect savior. Our God is faithful. He, he never leaves anyone almost saved. You can't just barely miss it. You're either saved or you're condemned. For those he saves, to die means to be in the presence of God. And those he saves will one day be resurrected in glory to joyfully serve the Lord forever. My, one of my favorite verses, Philippians 1, 6. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. This is a free gift. It cannot be won or lost if God calls you to saving faith. It's because Christ died for your sins. Not because you worked hard at being a good person. Not because you were able to figure out some sort of spiritual truth. And not because you raised your hand once at church camp. We live in a world where our trust and the ability of others to keep their word diminishes more and more. We are losing trust in our government. And we're losing trust in our law enforcement. We're losing trust in our healthcare system. And we're even losing trust in what were once considered factual absolutes, the definition of marriage. What is a man? What is a woman? The very definitions of morality change constantly in this sinful age. It is a glorious blessing to have an unchanging, all-powerful, and forever faithful God. In his book, The Immutability of God, 
Spurgeon wrote, consider what you owe to his immutability. Though you have changed a thousand times, he has not changed once. So as we're kind of closing here, take a moment and think about how much you've changed in just the last 10 years. How has your temperament changed? Or your political views? Or how has your body changed? Think of this sinful world. How has it changed? How have society's values changed? How have the quote, truths of this world change, because they change every single day. And then try to imagine eternity. You can't, by the way, but try. And think of how blessed we are to have an unchanging God. There is no new sin for which there is not forgiveness. There is no new fleshly failing that can ever pluck you from his hand. There is no broken promise that can diminish his love. I want to close with a small portion of Psalm 102, which is a prophetic psalm written in a time of of great crisis. Psalm 102, verses 25 through 27 read, Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe and they will pass away. But you are the same and your years have no end. Let's pray together.